0: The second lesson is from Titus chapter 3. This is going to serve as the basis for the sermon today. Paul writes to Pastor Titus on the island of Crete But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. The word of the Lord. Beloved of the Lord, how greatly God loves you. We sang that hymn on my wedding day. How lovely shines the morning star. We had an organist, for a friend from Martin Luther College, who worked up a special self-composed descant and final stanza for it with everybody in the church standing. The wedding party was filled with enough singers that we could have the uh, groomsmen and the bridesmaids all sing a stanza themselves. Acapella was really nice. How lovely shines the morning star. It's really interesting that in a marriage that you can see happening before your eyes between a man and a woman, we occupied our minds and thoughts with the marriage that you cannot see the marriage on which we depend. And really, that is why we're here today. Is because today is a day, again, we gather as a congregation and we do this. We open up what we can't see. Isn't it striking? Your entire world, I, and maybe you need to hit a reset button on this and just a refresher in it, your entire approach to life, your entire past, present, and future is best told here than anywhere else. Not only is it best told here, but if it weren't told here, think of where you'd be. It's just amazing. The invisible things that you would not know or claim to or live with or operate with, the strength at your hip, would not be there without the word bringing it into your life. Everything, everything we have, everything we do, and everything we set our hope on is spoken to us in scripture. It all falls in the word and none of it by appearances. This is the tone. This is the whole culture of the season of epiphany that God does this for you. That God opens this up and he speaks to the invisible things. Now one of the hard aspects of having things be not by appearances but having things go on in the inside is I don't have the full picture of how you're doing this morning. You don't have the full picture of how I am doing this morning. When it comes to me serving as best I am able under God your needs and taking care of you, I can't do one of this and say, you oh, know, I think so and so could really use a call. I can't feel it in the wind. I can't necessarily see it on your face, maybe sometimes, but the masks make it all the harder. And it's that invisible nature of your faith life where you are at war inside with sin, at least I hope. And that it is a nasty daily battle and struggle. That as you enter a new year, I pray that you say, Heavenly Father, I want to dedicate this one again to you. And that filled with inside of you is this invisible resolve and a resolution. You might not be a big fan of resolutions, but Christianity is a huge fan of resolutions. Because God has so loved me. God has so pushed me into new places my entire being inside says, how can I thank you, Lord? I am resolved to be grateful. I am resolved to live for you. The letter of Titus, the, the letter we call Titus, written by the Apostle Paul to this pastor, young pastor, is filled with encouragements and exhortation to live in good works to do good things. And every time a good work or an encouragement to good works comes out of the the pen, it's right next to what God has done for us. Because Paul knows how to light the fire on your inner being. That invisible you that I don't have full access to may be invisible to me, but it's not private. It is known by God. It is fueled by God. It is shaped and nurtured and cared for by God. And today, on a day when you see oil poured over David's head and everybody's like, What, David? Today, when you see Jesus, not John the Baptist, who everybody thought might be the Messiah, and then they say, Oh, it's just the carpenter guy from Nazareth? Like, what has he done? He's not dressed in camel's hair and proclaiming the word of the Lord boldly in the desert. He's the one? You're pointing to this guy? So today, we're going to return to an unlikely place we had in our lives of God's choice. And remember, when we know where God's choice is, we know who's with us in my private little world. Not so invisible to him, but a world opened up by him, explored by him, and empowered by him that your new year would go for good works so you look at this section from Titus chapter 3 and listen to the words that we read before you notice that it begins on a hinge it begins on a turn everything is moving to like a new page with this word it says but but So the context is saying something and now we're going to have something else. And what is happening is in chapter 3, Paul is writing to Titus and saying, you need to encourage people to submit to the authorities of their government and to pour themselves into their neighbor's lives with love and good works. You need to encourage people that this is the life we live under God. That we are resolute after living in society and plugging ourselves into our fellow sinners. And then says, now don't be smug, Christian people. And the attitude that you have as you carry that out. And he kind of walks you back through your own story. The Apostle Paul says, for we too were once. This is the context. We too were once foolish and arrogant. We too were once slaves to sin, hating people and being hated by them, giving ourselves over to our sinful desires, letting ourselves go to do what we wanted to do. We too were once. We too were once. We too were once. All of these nasty labels that you'd be so ashamed of, all of these things that we have to own up to in our hearts. I really am. I really am in my sinful nature. I am all of that. I'm every last syllable that you say, Paul. I hear you. I hear you. And then he says, but, and he opens up the invisible world, not just to the greatness of your sin, but the greatness of something else that was always there. Are you ready? But when the kindness and love, that love word is philanthropy, where we get our philanthropy, lover of people, Lover of mankind. Phyllis and Anthropoi. Love of mankind. When the kindness and the mankind love of God our Savior appeared. Not began. Not started. Appeared. was always there. When he revealed it. When the kindness and that mankind love of God our Savior appeared. He saved us. In this section, we have the great revealing of the ultimate and eternal source of God's activity, that in the heart of God, from before He said one word to let there be light, before one syllable of creating his creation, there was a kindness and mankind love of God, a plan from eternity carried out for you. And when it appeared, it was ready fully ready to do saving work in your life, to take people with all their nasty labels, with all their shame and guilt, to take people completely stuck in the deadness of their sin and save them from it. So now you're in a picture where you see a world covered in darkness and and go Indiana Jones a little bit on it, okay? Imagine spikes coming down from a ceiling that's being lowered or wasn't there a snake scene with like water like coming up to the chin? Maybe the spikes were in the same one. I don't remember. But there was like, there's that smooshing happening. And this is what's happening to the world because of sin. We are not going to survive by ourselves the plight into which we find ourselves, the punishment that we deserve, the hell to pay that I've earned for myself. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, now you go to that place, you go to that about-to-smush place, and you see two doors. He saved us. And you see two doors. There's always two in scripture that are mentioned because in, in order to get this right and be fully comforted, you have to talk about the one that doesn't work and the one that works. So what does Paul do? He says he saved us, not door number one. Door number one is your go-to. Door number one is your v- more visible you. Not by works done in righteousness that we do ourselves, he says. Ah, wrong door. Indiana Jones, is not going to get out through that one. But it's big. It's a big door. It looks big. People think it's going to work. They put their hope on it, right? You kind of typically live in this world that I've got something. I've got something that makes me feel good about me. Even when I'm sad about my sins, like, oh, but maybe my repentance, like, I'm sad enough, you know? And God's going to, like, God's going to see just how sad I am about my sin just how tortured I am by the guilt of what I've done in people's lives that's like oh I really miss if I say can I say to God that I really, really messed up this time? And then he'll forgive me because he'll see this righteous repentance. See, I offered to you a sorrow that you were looking for, right? You said repent and I'm finally giving you the sorrow. See how we'll think that way. We'll look that way my heart. Yeah, I really mean it this time. I'm really gonna turn it around. Look at my intentions, Lord. Look at my heart. That's a whole big old door we go to all the time. And so Paul says, I'm going to mention it again. I need you to see this again. A very attractive door, and I'm going to say it. Tell all your people. Not by the most glowing, righteous things you could do. Take the most pious works. Isn't repentance just this great thing? Isn't trust in the Lord, but I'm trusting you more than I did last year. Doesn't that count for something? No. It does not save you. And if you're going to keep going by the appearances of things in your heart, you're going to keep yanking on a door that will never open. What is the greatest statement about the truth that Jesus proclaims in his law and gospel, the law that tells us about our sins? you remember this? It's in two passages of scripture. What God opens, no one can shut, and what God closes, no one can open. When God closes and says, not by works, not by righteous works that you can do, you're never going to yank that thing open. Oh, I found a work. I just did the one thing that God approves of and gets me out safe from my sin, gets me out of danger and trouble and the hell that I deserve. You're never going to discover it. What God's word shuts, no one can open That's his truth. I love that line. You can bang, you can knock, you can take an axe to that thing, Indiana Jones. You can hack away and try to get out door number one and you're never going to do it. There's never going to be something in your life by your appearance and righteous living that you can ever use as strength for godly living. Not works done in righteousness that we do ourselves, but now we have door number two, the one that we rarely visit the place is so awesome to go to because it is god 's choice it is god 's gift it 's actually a surprise door it 's kind of like a You know, if he were to bump the wall and hit that little rock and suddenly like a door opens and Indiana Jones can escape and he didn't know that escape route was there. It had to be revealed. And so it is that it's revealed. It's revealed on the banks of the Jordan. And it's revealed by God himself. He says this, Not by righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. You need revealed to you, and I know you know this. Let's review it anyway. You need revealed to you the door of God's mercy. And what God opens, no one can shut. I want you to listen to this. I'm speaking to that invisible world going on inside your heart. And that struggle. Because you play a lot of games inside there. And God wants you to know that this door is the door that works. It's always been there. And it's His mercy. That God, inside His heart, always has this space communicated to you. Little you. Sinful you. A mercy door. A mercy door that never leaves. It's always there. I don't care how you feel. I don't care how it looks. I don't care what somebody else has done. This is how you can, are going to treat other people and live a godly life, right? Because you're going to view all people this way. You're not going to step into the office and be like, I'm more righteous than you. I went to church on Sunday. What? I'm not hanging my hat on the I went to church door. I'm hanging my hat on the mercy door. And I'm going to learn what it is to show mercy. I'm going to learn what mercy means. What mercy is. As I recognize what a pathetic thing we are as sinful people. And not just like pathetic as, as in I'm going to be on a step up higher than other people i'm going to share that patheticness of sin with my coworkers, with my neighbors with all my friends so when they do this or when they say that i say i'm going to treat you how you deserve because that's what i've learned i've discerned good things you better do some good things to deserve good for me nope it's a mercy door a mercy door i'm learning a mercy door from my god he saved us because of his mercy it's there Through the washing of rebirth. You take that whole self with all of its labels. You take everything on Paul's list from before that we were and we were and we were and you're like, yep, that's all of me without God. And you have a word like rebirth. You give it new birth. A washing, it's a reference to baptism. And there's actually a little, there's four words here. There's washing of rebirth, Renewal by the Spirit. Rebirth and renewal are like these synonyms that go together. And then you have the, the, the work that does it, like the tools, the Holy Spirit using baptism. The washing of rebirth, renewal by the Holy Spirit, in these parallel phrases that go together. You see the, the bookends? The washing and the Holy Spirit. That what God did on your baptism day was to appear his mercy into your life. He did it in our Lord Jesus Christ. He took sins away on that cross, but his mercy showed up and saved you through this. What does it look like? A couple of drops on the forehead? Dab them off? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Does it look like much? Hey, congratulations, David. Do you think there were a couple brothers that were like, oh, you got some oil from a horn sprinkled on your head by Samuel? whoop de doo what does that mean? But What is it to God? And the Spirit of the Lord was on him, empowering him to be what God was calling him to be. And here, you have a call from God. You didn't call for this. He called you to this. He brought you to this font. He chose, he blessed, he outpoured. Through the washing of rebirth, he rebirthed you. It's just what you needed. And he made you new by the Holy Spirit because that's what the Holy Spirit does. Renewing the face of the earth, renewing you and me, restoring us in Christ, dumping the fullness of the blessings of Jesus into our lives. The Spirit whom he poured out on us generously. Can you see that? Do you see that here? Do you see it when we do a baptism? No. I see it here. When it's opened up to me, the Holy Spirit poured out on us generously through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how he t- attaches the work of Jesus to that pouring out of the Spirit, Spirit flooding your heart with comfort and peace and joy. That's how you get separated out that door. You get out safe from my sins. I see the safety that I have. I see that the snakes and the spikes are far away. I see that I'm removed from the danger of my sins. You have given me something else. You have set me far away from them. You have put the delight... You have delighted in me and set me as someone resplendent. You say to me, I am a child. You say to me, I am forgiven. You say to me, everything that I, I didn't have when I was stuck over here, you get me through that door and you say, through the Lord Jesus Christ. In order that, having been justified by his grace, this meaning the grace that just came poured out on you in washing by the Spirit, Having been justified, you go to that courtroom and you say, boy, it's really nice to slam the door on the danger of my sins because here in the courtroom of God, justified means I'm called innocent. You say, me, innocent. My inner world needs to remember that God calls me innocent for Jesus' sake. He smiles with an everlasting smile in his son. As heaven opened, and he said, you are my son, I am your father. So this is what God's message to you in your baptism is. Let heaven be opened in your invisible eye. Faith, receive this word, this word from God. You are forgiven, washed, justified, innocent. Having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs with a hope. Boy, outside the walls of that danger, I have a hope of eternal life. Tell me what you want for your neighbor. Tell me what you want for your coworkers. Tell me what you want to reveal to them. And think about your actions and your words each and every day. Ask yourself, what am I revealing to them? There's an inner struggle there, isn't there? I have a whole world of revealing me to them and not revealing mercy to them. And we pray today that the Lord would take us back with these trustworthy, encouraging words to remind us what godliness is all about, where it got its birth, what door we had revealed to us, What story we share. That my new year would be filled with resolve. That you would join the Christian throng of people becoming resolute. Jesus is my substitute. I know the hope of heaven and I'm going to set my heart on seeking to save the lost. I'm going to set my heart after the will of the Lord. I'm going to do it again but I'm not doing it privately. It is my invisible world visible to my lord my brothers and sisters be opened before god as his children and live in the strength that he alone gives you remember your baptisms and move forward in the gospel the word of the lord not by sight but by faith amen